1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? On October 14, 1947, Captain Charles Yeager shattered the sound barrier, propelled man into the future, and the search began for a new breed of men. Men who were fearless. You've heard about our project. Sounds dangerous. It's very dangerous. Count me in. I got a rocket in my pocket and a roll in my wall. Ambitious. Who's the best pilot you ever saw? You're looking at it, baby. Patriotic beyond question. I just thank God I live in a country where the best and the finest in a man can be brought out. It's my pleasure to introduce to you America's Mercury Excellence! Seven men who would risk their lives in a hurtling piece of machinery to cross the threshold of space. It takes a special kind of man to volunteer for a suicide mission, especially once on TV. You know, the government spends just all kinds of time and money teaching you pilots how to be fearless. They don't spend a damn penny teaching you how to be the fearless wife of a test pilot. They were idolized by the public. Hi, which one are you? Shepard. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. Well, which one's Glenn? He's the one I want to meet. Heralded by the media. Uh, gentlemen, can you tell us if any of you go to church regularly? As far as church goes, I attend regularly. But behind the image, they were human beings. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spitaro, and this time out, I have Mr. Matt Hunsworth back with us again. Hey, Matt, thanks for coming on and joining us. Well, well, joining me. There is no one. <laughs> True. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you were available to make it. Today, we are here to take a look at the 1983-1984, depending on which release date you're working mm -hmm. with, uh, movie The Right Stuff. And this is a movie that when I was first figuring out 
movies to cover on the show, Matt came right out and said, yeah, I'm good for this one. Yep. <laughs> so this is obviously a big favorite of yours. And as I was saying to you, I'm going to kind of give you the background and then throw out the gauntlet to you. Okay. Uh, as I was saying before we started to record, I had seen this when it was a relatively new movie. I'd seen it when it had first come out on, on VHS tape. Uh, and I really tapes, and for that matter, it was two tapes back in the day from what I yes, remember. It was <laughs> so it was long. And I remember thinking of it as pretty epic at the time. And I really enjoyed it. And when you mentioned watching it again, I thought, oh, cool. I haven't seen this in so long. I definitely want to see it. And I watched it again. And I have to tell you, my opinion of it was not as high as the first time. Mm-hmm. And let me kind of be a little bit more specific about that, because I think that's just just too vague to throw <laughs> in your lap. Yeah, just a touch. Uh, I, I thought the individual performances were really good. I thought the casting was really good. I thought that individual sequences were excellent. But when it meshed together, I thought... At this time, not back in 1984 or 85 when it was that I first saw it, I thought that it felt poorly paced and that it felt like a series of vignettes and not really a narrative flow to it at all. And I think to some extent that may be intentional to give it a documentary feel, but it kind of made it more difficult for me to be gripped by it this time around, if that makes sense. It really does, and it's actually really, I guess, funny, for lack of a better term you say that, because it's one of the things I really like about it, is the fact that I can kind of watch four separate events. It's, I, I consider it kind of three things. It's not quite three movies wrapped into one, with, with which I like to call a pre-show of Chuck Yeager and the Bell X-1. Then we lead into the next three stories, and I can pick it up and watch any of those three and not feel like I have missed anything by either not continuing to watch the movie or having not watched prior to what I'm watching at. It's really funny that you picked up on uh, something that is kind of a, a, a strike against it, this viewing, and it's something I've come to actually love about it the more I watch the movie. Hmm. That, that is very interesting. And uh, I guess I guess it's a, a prime example of your mileage may vary. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, I mean – just talking about the individuals, I, I, I want to stick with things that I like more in the be- at least certainly in the beginning, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the pacing later. Uh, like I said, I thought there a lot of the sequences were kind of that awe-inspiring, just uh, you know, the feeling of discovery, feeling of of going, you know, for lack of a better word or term, uh, where no man has gone before. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. That was the thing about it that really, you know, you came across in watching it that these guys were doing things that had never been done before. They really didn't know what to expect. I mean, in the beginning of the movie, when they're talking about breaking the sound barrier, they don't know if breaking the sound barrier is going to just destroy them. Right. You know, now in, in the current day and age, you know, you look at breaking the sound barrier and you think, oh, that's not, you know, that big of an event. Sure, we've never done it, yeah. but it's been done many, many times. I hear it I, every time a Falcon 9, literally, if the, if, the, if, the air, if the air is still or if the wind's in the right direction, every time a Falcon 9 lands, I hear it twice because it breaks the sound barrier twice as it lands over at Kennedy Space Center. 
Mm. Well, that's eventually why they stopped having commercial flights with the uh, yeah, con- <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just because of the, the breaking the sound barrier became such a uh, a problem. Yes, <laughs> but but that I mean that was really well done in the movie. The the whole uh, not only breaking the sound barrier, but then you know the trying to top each other. And and the you know the friendly competition that it became to keep trying to beat out, and and do more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, and I and I think you know I don't think we're so far removed. It's just a matter of uh, whether the sum is not quite the equal it equals or exceeds the sum of its parts. Uh, you know the final product because to me, like I said, the individual sequences were all well done. But then putting it together as one movie, just to sit down in one sitting to watch it all, it lost a little of the feel for me. Uh, so like I said, I, I really enjoyed the the sound barrier aspect of it. And then the uh, the friendly competition between the various pilots was kind of cool to watch as it was going on. And just, you know, the different things that, that you know highlighting the race with Russia and trying to beat them out. Uh, I, I really, I really enjoyed the way Lyndon Johnson was portrayed in the movie. That guy is great in this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, you know, uh, there, there were many things about it that I really, really enjoyed. But as I said, at, you know, sometimes at, at some points it felt overly long and, you know, a little disjointed and that kind of, pulled me out of it a little bit. And I can see that. I, I am not going to disagree with that. It's just, um, I, like I said, it's funny that it's that's how I actually enjoy watching it. I'm trying to think here as you're saying this, because I can't disagree with what you're saying, because you're, well, for one, it's your opinion. I'm not going to disagree with that. But two, you, you make some valid points and some perfect observations about this movie. And I'm trying to remember when the last time I really sat and watched it beginning to end and I can remember having done that, and but I'm but what's coming to my mind the more I'm thinking about that is I've I think more times than sitting and watching it beginning to end myself I've watched it beginning to end with somebody that I want to see the movie, and that gives me that a little bit not exactly a little bit of the seeing this movie for the first time feeling watching them react or watching the movie too I not quite sure now now with the. Uh, couple of ideas in my head and, and knowing that i do watch this movie in, in pieces i'm curious uh, uh how a, a really um conscious viewing of this by myself might hold up well let me ask you what was your, what was your first viewing of this it was quite later that i didn't see it in 1983 or 84 I, at, at all i didn't i was what was i 11 when it came out i know my parents went to see it which is bizarre because they they i mean they like space exploration and whatnot as well as anybody else but they're not obsessed with it i do not get my fascination with space exploration from either of them at all i guess it was because of all the academy awards that won they may have gone and seen it on the re-release i've always been a space nut as long as i can remember but it's always been what is happening now or in the future and it wasn't until probably the super late 80s or the really early 90s where I started to even look at space history and then that is when I finally got around to I should see this movie and that's why I know it's two videotapes because I went and rented it and got two boxes (laughs) and watched it and just loved it 
because I had learned. And what's funny, I think what I love about this movie, I mean, the casting is great. It's it's a great cast of people who will become famous for other things. It's really kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they're all it's, the, their performances are great. I do enjoy the story. I like how a lot of it was filmed in the first viewing. But I think it's it's what the movie is about that I love more than how the movie's made. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, let me let me ask you. Let's go with the casting a little bit. Who do you, who do you feel are the standouts in the movie? Well, Ed, Ed Harris for sure because it's it's freakish how much he looks like John Glenn at at that age. In fact, there's like a there's a clip at the uh, uh, the um, I think it's the Apollo. It's either the Apollo or the Heroes and Legends exhibit at Kennedy Space Center where I swear they accidentally put a clip in from the right stuff. Because yeah, they look, looks, yeah, <laughs> he looks, looks almost so, identical yep, to Glenn. Yep. Uh, Sam Shepard as Chuck Yeager is great. Um, personal favorites, I probably have to go with Dennis Quaid, Fred Ward, and Lance Hendrickson. Even though uh, I think Lance Hendrickson probably has the least amount of lines and screen times of all them, but those those are the ones I gravitate to when they're on screen. Those are the ones that, that kind of catch my attention every time they're on. Yeah, there's certain actors in this, and and you mentioned a, a couple of them already, uh, who there's they just have this innate charisma about them that when they're on the screen, I, I my eyes are automatically pulled to them and and my attention is focused on them. And uh, actually, for me, Fred Ward is one of those guys. Yes, uh, Scott Glenn is absolutely one of them. Lance <laughs> Henriksen, and I think my fascination with Lance, Lance Henriksen is a James Cameron influenced thing. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know? definitely. Oh yeah, because I, I, I do Lance Henriksen from way different movies before I ever finally got around to seeing this. Yeah, but you know, for me, he he's uh, if nothing else from Alien and Aliens. Mm-hmm. That's I, that's my initial. Uh, knowledge of him. I'm right. I'm sure I've seen him before then, but that was the first time I became aware of him. Right. Uh Scott Glenn I first became aware of in Silverado. I don't know if you've seen that. I know the movie. I I feel like I must have seen it, but I I don't recall specifically seeing it. Yeah, it's uh it's 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 a you know a 1980s take on a western. Right. Okay. Let's put it that way. And uh, him and Kevin Costner are. Uh, I'm trying to remember if they're brothers or just friends. I can't remember now off the top of my head. And Kevin Kline is in it, and John Cleese. Uh, wow, this really sounds like something I should have seen, but I don't think so. I'm looking it up on IMDb now, and I don't think I have. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll love it. You know, you know what? If you haven't seen it and you decide to watch it. Perhaps it's one that we'll cover on the show yeah. one day. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely enjoy that movie, and I'm not sure where it would fall on the Jaws scale. And if we decide to cover it, <laughs> I'll decide then what I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's that's one to consider for down the road. But that's that's where I first became aware of Scott Glenn, and and I, honestly, I'm surprised his star didn't rise higher than it did. Yeah, I agree. Because he 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 does have a way of commanding the screen. Yes. Yeah, he's he is he's um uh I want to say I, I don't the best phrase I can come with is fine actor. It sounds silly, but he he is. He's as good an actor as anybody who 
is a leading man in the late '80s, early '90s, and maybe even beyond that. But yeah, he never seemed to quite got to get the um, get a foothold of that. He was, and I want to get your opinion on this too. He was a pleasant surprise in one of my favorite parts of Daredevil, the Netflix series. Yes, yes, as Nick. Yeah, and 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 he, I never would have pictured casting him in no, that role. Exactly. That's why it was such a surprise. Yep, I agree. But yeah, he he definitely, and it's nice to see that at this point, you know, in 2018, or I guess that appearance was probably 2016, uh, that he's you know he's still active and and doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, since I'm a little surprised that he hasn't done more. Right. Yeah. Uh, just watching the show of people whose appearances caught me off guard a little bit just because I didn't remember them being in it uh, were Harry Shearer and Jeff Difficult. Goldblum. I knew you were going to say that. As soon as you said that, I knew those were the names you were going to say. That's they, they were surprising to me. And, and you know, it's Harry Shearer's one thing because he could probably still play a part like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff Goldblum, that was before he was Jeff Goldblum. Yep. <laughs> you know, he could he could get away playing a little character role in the movie and not stand out. Now, if you were watching this movie, you'd be like, hey, that's Jeff Goldblum. It is, yeah. And it's very strange seeing Harry Shearer. Now, I mean, now, this is an 80s movie, but even watching it this week, it's very strange to see him, to see him on screen outside of Spinal Tap or Mighty Wind because otherwise his voice work is what has been he's predominantly known for for the past probably 20 years now at this point or even well he's because he's been on the simpsons oh, yeah, so it's, been, it's been longer than that yeah so, so yeah however long that's well, like 30 no, 30 years almost. exactly yep and there is there is there's two scenes and it'll never no matter how long i live they'll never change the scene where he him and jeff goldblum are getting sick over the side of the aircraft character or carrier when mm-hmm. they go to be down shepherd with him being sick and trying to talk, that's his principal Skinner voice. So all I hear is Skinner. And then there's a there's a a video that they watch before. It's kind of like a transition point from them recruiting everybody to the press announcement of the um, who the astronauts are going to be. There's a voiceover, and that's obviously Harry Shearer because it's like the general voiceover guy from every other episode of The Simpsons as well. <laughs> yeah, and and. You know, I guess it doesn't help having that knowledge. It's better yeah. if it's just a guy who you don't recognize. Right. Because uh, it, it could tend to take you out of the film a little bit, although it didn't really. No, it didn't. Uh, but, it, but it has that risk. It does, that yeah. Way. Uh, just thinking, looking at the cast again, somebody who surprised me was Pamela Reed, who, you know, I, I, I think of her from uh, Kindergarten Cop. No. Oh. So yeah, okay. that, that she sure. surprised me a little bit. Levon Helm narrating it and playing a small part mm-hmm. was just surprising because I just know him as the guy who played the drums and sang uh, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. <laughs> so that surprised me a bit. Uh, the happy surprise is uh, Chuck Yeager actually making a cameo in it. But I, I, I do love that. But what frustrates, I wouldn't say frustrates me. That's an extreme word. But I'll say frustrates me is whenever there's like that little bit of trivia on IMDb or All Movie or Wikipedia, it says he's the guy that is in the bar and sits and says, if I counted up the hours and it's in a cockpit, yada, yada, yada. I was like, yes, that is his line. But his best line in the movie is when he looks at Harry Shearer and says, do you want to drink a whiskey? That's the quote they should be quoting. Mm. See, now I, I remember Chuck Yeager doing commercials. <laughs> yeah, in, in, I guess in the seventies or in the eighties. For I'm trying to remember, was it STP? 
It oh, you know what? Ah, that might be right. I gotta look it up now. Um, <laughs> and and the other thing, sadly, that my initial uh, knowledge of him came not from his accomplishments, which obviously were phenomenal, uh, but for the fact that he was the uncle of Steve Yeager, who played for the Los Angeles Dodgers in the seventies. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Because when when the Dodgers were in the World Series against the Yankees, Steve Yeager was the uh, catcher for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And I knew, and I was very aware of him because, and this is such a far tangent from this movie, but uh, he became somewhat famous or infamous because he started wearing a catcher's mask that had a plastic piece that dangled to cover his neck mm-hmm. because he had actually had his throat to some extent severed uh, by a bat that broke. Oh my God. Wow. And w- and when he recovered and came back, they created this well, yeah, mask okay. that, that protected his throat. Holy cow. And then eventually, like all catchers, started having some sort of protective yes. gear at their throat. Yeah, see, I, I know the piece you're talking about. Wow, that's whew. it's unfortunate it takes something like that to create that. Well, but I guess, yeah, I guess they weren't aware of yeah, the exactly. apparent <laughs> danger up until, you know, until, until it, it happens. Became, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oof. But I, I, I remember being very conscious of that. And then they would say, oh, and his uncle is Chuck Yeager. And oh. <laughs> I'd, be like, I'd be like, who's Chuck Yeager? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. General Motors looks like the commercials he was in in the 80s. I'll have to watch these later. I'm going to bookmark this. Yeah, I'm sure they're available on YouTube for anybody who's interested. Uh, yep. An AC spark plug. That's probably what I'm thinking of. I, okay, th- that sounds is right. Is that the one? Yes. Is that, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Because I remember, I, at first I was thinking he was the guy with the battery on his shoulder because I remember holding something no, small. No, that That's, was... Uh, that was the guy from uh, Baba Black Sheep. Okay, uh, yeah. It's uh, Robert Conrad. Okay, right, right, right. Okay, so yeah, it's not the battery. It's a spark plug I picture him holding. And it was something small. People are going to get mad at me for making Baba Black Sheep the Robert Conrad TV series. But it's one of them, so <laughs> roll with it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's- it, it most, most famous to me for losing out in the uh, race to uh, Gabe Kaplan in the Battle of the Network Stars. <laughs> Which is also available on YouTube if anybody it wants is? to see it. Oh, I gotta yeah, see it. It's it's actually funny because he was so angry because he lost to like you know kind of a geeky guy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was like Mister Macho. Right. Anyway, uh, what would you say are the high points of this movie? My favorite, the the one I will watch the most of of the vignettes, I guess you call them if you split them up, is the. It's not the trade. It's a. I don't even know what you would call it. The testing from when they get to the, that, that clinic to the point where they pick the astronauts. I, from the, that, uh, it really kind of all starts with, well, it really starts with, um, uh, Alan Shepard kind of opens that scene with that really strange, uh, he gets a, it's, it's not a shot, like a lick, like a syringe shot, but he gets like an electric, Pro put in the meat of his hand between his thumb and his index finger. Oh, and yeah, ooh, ooh, yeah. yeah, that one it, it always makes, and I know it has to be a retractable needle, but it still makes me wince. And then he well, has, it has to be a retractable needle in how they filmed it. That's what I mean. Oh, yes, <laughs> but, uh, yes. But in reality, yes. what they're showing you or what they're, you know, what they're, uh, dramatizing for you is something that really happened and there was no retractable needle assuming that we're getting true facts here and i i don't have any real understanding that anything that they show us here is blatantly false yeah it's it's probably it's it's uh, i bet you it's a uh and i don't know I, sh- I am actually i should know 
I would I feel like I should know, but I don't know. It's probably a very dressed up version of everything that happened. Well, and I, you know, we we I recently on the show, uh, Chris Keith and I covered uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. and I criticized that. Although I enjoyed the movie, I criticized it for presenting a true story and changing facts. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and. You know, if you're going to make a true story, then make a true story. And you can dramatize things. You can consolidate things. You can figure out or speculate as to what may have happened in private conversations that, you know, that aren't documented. There's certain areas where you have to fudge it. But there's certain areas where you don't. Uh, and to me, if, if you take facts and then you present them wrongly, I, I find it bothersome, and part of that is just because there are going to be people out there who are going to watch a movie like <laughs> yeah. this or Bohemian Rhapsody, and then they're just going to assume that everything in there is really what happened. Yeah, okay. I so I find that bothersome. Sure. Uh, I don't know of anything in this in particular that is false. Like I said, there may be conversations that they had to you know, figure, well, they must have talked about this, or they mm-hmm. must have talked about that. Now, I'm just looking. I have the Wikipedia page open. And let's see what what they criticize because they do have a section on historical accuracy. And it says, although the right stuff was based on historical events and real people, as chronicled in Wolf's book, some substantial dramatic liberties were taken. Neither Jaeger's flight in the X-1 to break the sound barrier early in the film or his later nearly fatal flight in the NF-104A were spur-of-the-moment capriciously decided events, as the film seems to imply. They actually were part of the routine testing program for both aircraft. Jaeger had already test-flown both aircraft a number of times previously and was rather familiar with them. Jack Ridley had actually died in 1957, even though his character appears in several key scenes taking place after that, most notably including Jaeger's 1963 flight of the NF-104A. And I'm gonna, it goes on, so I'm going to keep going here. And mm-hmm. you interrupt me if there's anything that catches your ear that you right. say, ooh, that's, <laughs> that's um, the right stuff depicts Cooper arriving at Edwards in 1953, reminiscing with Grissom there about the two of them having supposedly flown together at the Langley Air Force Base and then hanging out with Gris- Grissom and Slayton, including all three supposedly being present at Edwards when Scott Crossfield flew at Mach 2 in November 1953. The film shows the three of them being recruited together there for the astronaut program in late 1957 with Grissom supposedly expressing keen interest in becoming a star voyager. According to their respective NASA biographies, none of the three was posted to Edwards before 1955 uh, and Grissom and Cooper, oh, excuse me, Slayton in 1955 and Grissom and Cooper in 56. And neither of the latter two previously trained at Langley. By the time astronaut recruitment began in 1957, after the Soviets had orbited Sputnik, Grissom had already left Edwards and returned to Wright Patterson Air Force Base, where he had served previously in was happy with his new assignment there. Grissom did not even know he was under consideration for the astronaut program until he received mysterious orders out of the blue to report to Washington in civilian clothing for what turned out to be a recruitment session for NASA. And then it talks about dramatic license, and I'm not going to go on more <laughs> with that, that. But that second see, second thing was all that's a lot of detail for a, a shot of three characters in one scene. Yeah, <laughs> and see, they're, they're criticizing it, and 
I understand where you might say, okay, this is accurate, this isn't, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, with analyzing the accuracy of the film. But I don't think they're taking liberties with anything that significantly changes reality. Exactly, yes. Like, you know, going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, have you seen that, by the way? No, I haven't. Okay, well, uh, spoilers? No, it's fine, it's Uh, fine. They present that as Freddie Mercury finding out he has AIDS after Queen breaks up and then basically presenting himself to them and, you know, with his tail between his legs to some extent, uh, asking for their forgiveness for different things, getting the band back together and wanting to perform at Live AIDS, Live Aid, excuse (laughs) me, because he found out he has AIDS. Mm -hmm. And blah, 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 blah. Right, right, right. The reality is, first of all, Queen never broke up. Right, okay. Yeah. Second of all, he didn't find out he had AIDS until well after Live Aid. And they performed there as a normal thing. They weren't, you know, it wasn't something where they got together at the last minute. Yeah, yeah. That's a big story change. Or story. It's, you know, it's presenting it as a very dramatic point in the movie, uh, you know, kind of a pivotal moment. And it's not. It didn't, it, didn't it didn't happen. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. And in the right stuff, the things they're presenting to me aren't presented to be pivotal, dramatic moments. They're more along the lines of, okay, we, we, you know, we're going to introduce you to these characters and then we're going to move on from there. Um, I don't. I don't think it changes any of the of the flow of the of the drama, and it's not something where people are going to be saying, "Well, Gus Grissom didn't get there till <laughs> yeah. such and such a time." It it just doesn't seem to flow that way. Right, it's not right. pivotal points in the movie. No, I never uh, actually thought for a part. We 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 saw ooh, how few actual recruitments of not only all the astro or uh, potential astronauts in that clinic, and but forget. Even that, we saw so few recruitments of the seven, final seven, as the movie goes on, that I never even wondered. It's like they set the stage, we're recruiting people from all over the place and move on. I didn't, you know, I never wondered, well, how did, you know, <laughs> Gus Grissom get picked and all that? It just was part of the story flow. It didn't matter at that point when we got to that point in the story. And, and Gus Grissom, you know, they don't focus on him nearly as much as what I thought they would. They not uh, until the what I call I think like the third the third movie when they're actually flying. That's when well the whole Liberty Bell and the the hatch blowing, which to this day literally no one knows what happens. It's it's the, the all the evidence has been been lost. The capsule's been recovered but the door is gone and the film got ruined. So no one knows what happened. That was kind of the uh, Gus Grissom's spotlight in this particular movie was that event. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, I don't know why, but the key, the key, the key moment for him is when the, uh, I don't know if it was a senator or who it was who starts saying an astronaut named Gus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but that stood out to me. I think and that was LBJ, I think maybe, maybe not. It, might be it seems like I'm it would have sure. been that guy, <laughs> that, that actor. <laughs> But that that kind of stood out to me because he was almost like insulting him because of his name. Right. Just, it's like, what the hell does that have to do with his ability as a pilot? I really liked the way they kind of showed it as each one of them taking their turn to be the guy. Yes. Yeah. Which I kind of assume is at least somewhat historically accurate. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, as far as the ones that went into space, that that is true. Now, I, I would again, I, I don't know for sure how many because they kind of seem to have the the uh, ones that weren't the astronauts that weren't in space on ground control, and I'm sure they were to an extent. I'm sure everyone had to have their fingers in the mix. Now, was you know Dennis Quaid's? Uh, well, it was Gordon Cooper as on the ra- on the radio the entire time. John Glenn was was orbiting the Earth that entire time. I don't know. That might be part of the storytelling because we know these characters now we're getting to know them even further mm-hmm. like I, I was saying I, I felt like there were certain characters that just kind of whenever they were on the screen they grabbed me mm-hmm. and I, I think you hit it on the head though the, the guy who was most of, of that was Ed Harris yeah. and part of it was his not being willing to give in to pressure about his wife that's a great scene. There's a, there's a really, as far as making a character arc, which is a difficult thing to do, I would think, when you're writing a real person, you kind of had the clean-cut goody-two-shoes, and he's never not that, but you have the 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 Marine in uniform with the Boy Scout on the game show. So here you're introduced to him. America loves him. Then we, we have, um, I think it's before, it is before his flight, when he starts getting involved with the the space program and the actual capsule and they have the astronauts have concerns and, and, and bordering on demands for the capsule. And he kind of leads a small revolt. It's not a revolution, but a small revolt saying, well, you know, if you're not going to, how are you going to fly these things without an astronaut? He's the one who kind of starts and leads the troops saying, well, if you don't, you know, listen to what we're saying, we're not going to do this, which is like, okay, he's not Mr. Go, go, the military and the government's always right. He takes a stand. And then we get into the wife, the defending his wife part, which is kind of the, the climax of him really showing what a strong person and uh, really a conviction of his beliefs and, and defending what he loves perfectly. I love that arc that they wrote for a real life person in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And the way the astronauts are presented here, and I think this is far more true uh, back then, you know, in the time that this takes place. Uh, and I'm going to kind of leave that for a second and say, like, the last time that we went to uh, Kennedy Space Center, uh, you know, you're walking through, you're checking out all the stuff. And I, I, I love it. I love going through there. Mm-hmm. I'm not the space person that you or Scott <laughs> are, but I, I still find it fascinating to see these things and to just see how everything's done. And then there'll be a guy who comes out and he starts giving you a little tour and he tells you that he's an astronaut. Yes. Yeah. And in my mind, it's like, you're not an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> you're a guy giving a tour. Uh, back, you know, back in the late 1950s, early 1960s, being an astronaut wasn't the same as what it is now. It's still something that makes you very unique in, you know, in the world. Uh, but back then it was, you know, you talk about the few and the proud, uh, you know, there were only a handful of people who could lay claim to such a, a lofty title. Right. I mean, seven. And it was seven guys. Yeah. <laughs> it, but, you know, I'm, 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 like I said, I'm at the Space Center and, you know, this guy's introducing himself as an astronaut. And I have no reason to believe that he's not. <laughs> uh but it, but it says to me there's there's probably hundreds of astronauts now. Well, you go to now the the uh, they've moved the astronaut hall of fame to Kennedy Space Center. It used to be off property. You go through there and I mean, I this sounds so terrible what I'm about to say, but it's it's not meant as an insult. 
basically to be in the astronaut hall of fame you the biggest qualification 95 percent of that is being an astronaut there's almost nobody who's not in it there's that one crazy woman who drove across country <laughs> in an adult diaper to uh, do whatever she's going to do to her lover's husband she's not in it that's the only one i know by name that's not in this you go in there you will be overwhelmed by how many people are in the astronaut, astronaut hall of fame we went from the original seven uh, which were the only ones at the time in, in the beginning of my lifetime to now two rooms of plaques of many, many, many people. Still a very small percentage of people in the workforce, but it's not the seven that we're talking about that this movie depicts. Yeah, and, and they, you know the way this movie shows them, they they know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they exactly. Know what, what a unique <laughs> position they are, and it's kind of cool because they're shown as having supreme confidence in themselves oh yeah yeah and they have egos but they're never there's really none of them that are unlikable dennis quaid by every line he has in this movie gordon cooper you should be so annoyed with him and dislike him but every time he smiles at the camera he charms the heck out of every viewer that's watching this movie he plays it perfectly yeah, you're right. He, you should dislike him, but you don't. Nope. And I think some of that is shown also because they show you, to some extent, their lives. You don't really see their home lives, but you see them when they're socializing together, when they're at a barbecue, when they're yeah. doing things together. And you see their wives and how their wives interact, interact with each other and talk about them. And they come off as real people. Mm-hmm. And they come off as real likable people that if like if you were at that barbecue, you'd just be in awe. Yeah, right. And they and they'd be standing there knowing you're in awe. Yeah, too. that's true. <laughs> which you're is absolutely part of the right. Part of it. And <laughs> yeah. yet you don't get annoyed at them for it, which yeah. is like I said, it's kind of, you know, a, a, a very fine balance to walk. It is. And it I, is. I, I do think that's something when they were making this movie that they had to be careful of, that they don't want to make any of these people unlikable. And it would be easy to do that. Yeah. But they didn't. It's, it's and one of my favorite lines, and I'm probably going to slaughter it because I wasn't prepared to say it, but it's like the, the, the one person that was bordering it up until you kind of get into the actual space astronaut training part of it was at the press conference. It's Alan Shepard. Actually, it's not true. I, there's really not a point you, you don't like him, but I think the point where he like humanizes himself the most is at the press conference when someone asks, uh, what about church? Do you attend regularly? And he grabs a microphone and goes, as for church, I attend regularly and has a smile <laughs> on his face that like he just wowed the crowd. He's the only one that was impressed by that answer. I, that, was, that was like his humanizing moment for me. And it's also the point where, you know, like he he kind of at least temporarily took control of the <laughs> after, audience. After John, after John Glenn had like, yeah, sa- rescued that entire press conference. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we like this guy now. Yeah, right. <laughs> And now, you know, talking about all that, just to talk about my negatives a little bit. Sure. uh, I did, again, I'm kind of repeating myself, but I did feel that as presented, the movie came off as somewhat badly paced. And I think that goes to the fact that they were showing these multiple stories and kind of jumping back and forth a little bit. It made it a little bit difficult to follow the timeline that they were presenting. And it made it a little difficult sometimes to get 
reacclimate yourself to where they're going with new characters. Well, not necessarily new characters, but characters who hadn't been on the screen in a little while, kind of coming back again as they change from one storyline to another. Uh, and that, that to me, that was probably the biggest negative of the movie. I don't know exactly how you'd clean it up because there's really not a lot I'd want to cut out of this. Yeah, I, I, agree. I feel like there's got to be a way to kind of link these sequences and move it along at a, a kind of a better clip. If there's any suggestion I could make to this film is that this might be one that could benefit with a special edition uh, type treatment because what really does slow it down for me are, which is funny because the movie's about space exploration. Almost every time we're in some kind of vehicle in the air or in the, in space, that does seem to be where everything cuts to a screeching halt. And that probably has a lot to do with they were working with the best information they had, what they knew this experience looked like. And this movie was done in 1983. Here we are in 2018, and we've seen way more fantastic stuff than that through CGI and other methods, which aren't necessarily real, but I've probably been overstimulated and seeing real space from a 1980s lens seems to screech this to a halt. Now, I'm not saying overdo it, but it could do with a redo, a touch-up, and maybe make that a little more visually attractive to the story they're doing. Yeah, now, a movie I don't anticipate ever ever covering on here, and one that I did not care for from a story point of view, uh, was Gravity. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the scenes in outer space are spectacular. Right. Yes. Now maybe if they could, you know, and again, we're talking about a movie that was made 30 some odd years later or 30 years later. Maybe I don't know about if it's more than 30 years, but whatever, 30 years of advanced technology, right. advancement of technology has, has allowed them to do things in that movie that they couldn't do in the right stuff. Yes. Uh, but if, if they did, I, I kind of agree with you. If they could have done, if they could have done outer space a little bit more like they did it in gravity, or if gravity could have had any story that even in any way resembled the right stuff, <laughs> they, they would improve. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. But you know, I guess you got to work with the with the technology you have at the time yeah. that you make yeah. it. Uh, and again, I'm not sure exactly how to shore it up to just kind of make it just slightly faster paced. Right. It's yeah. I mean, it's a long movie. It's. What is this? Almost three. I'm not sure what its runtime is, but I know yeah. I usually need to carve out three hours when I want to show someone this movie. 192 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a so long. It's three a long hours movie. and 12 minutes. Yeah, that's long. Yeah, that's very long. Uh, and and it's usually you know, like I said, there's no sequences that I'm saying, oh, you need to get rid of this. Mm. So I think in individual sequences, you probably need a little bit more judicious editing. Yes, to yeah. cut them down a little bit. Yep. And you probably need a li just a little bit better in bridging scenes to go from one to the other. And I'm not sure exactly how to do that. Uh, that could make it better, but it, it would just make the story narrative easier to follow because this does not have a conventional narrative. This isn't an it, act one, act two, act three play. No, it's and that's what's really uh, interesting about watching this. It's like the the the. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use that the first one as an example because it's perfect. It's like the astronauts get recruited, they get tested, they get picked. That could be you could make a movie out of that, and that's just the 
first third of the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Then you have everything that went in to get them off the ground, which also has beginning, middle, and end. And then this is actually the weakest part, which is considering this movie is about going into space, when they actually go into the space, that kind of has a beginning and middle, and it kind of has a lackluster end. I kind of do admit that when this movie is over, there's this feeling of kind of, there's like an unfinished feeling to it because then we go back down on the ground with Chuck Yeager and maybe it wraps up his story, but we're kind of left hanging with a lot of the others. So I will say as much as I love this movie and I love a lot about this movie, it does kind of just peter out at the end and you don't really get a feeling of a, of a finality to it. Would, would it be better served and again, we're already talking over three hours, so I don't know how you yeah. do this because I'm talking about adding on to it now. So I don't know what you'd have to eliminate to do this, but would it be better served if they continued to bring the space program forward in the movie and ended it with Neil Armstrong taking the first steps on the moon? Oh, man, that's – yeah. I mean, that would – that's a good place to end it, or maybe it's the uh, – I mean, you could end it with one small step for man. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, uh, I'll tell you, Matt, and and you're going to be a little jealous of this uh, because I'm older than you. (laughs) I I remember watching that on TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, whatever, six years old. And we were at my uncle's house in Long Island and we were watching it on TV as it happened. Right. And even then, I was incredibly impressed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's nothing really to be jealous about. I, I couldn't help. I wasn't. That didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hopefully I'll get to see something like that in my lifetime. Who knows? Um, but I, yeah, uh, that's I'm it's, a little disappointed that you're not jealous, but okay. Oh, no. Uh, oh, I'm envious. <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know if jealous. I'm, I think jealous, jealous is more of a negative than an envious. I would have loved to have been able to see that, but okay. Well, think, I'm, I'm using those two as synonymous. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, gotcha. I'm jealous of the people that got to see, uh, the Falcon heavy that launched when I was, on a work trip to Ohio that I get I, that I classify as jealous cause I'm angry, but that's another story. <laughs> um, it, it, it's actually, I mean, any, any, you, you bring up Apollo. That's one, that's one thing. They really don't go into any other space and they don't need to. I mean, it's about the original seven, but there's kind of no mention saying, Hey, Mercury's over going into Gemini. I mean, maybe that's because that's kind of a bummer. It's like all these, even though a majority of them went on to the program, a majority of them went on to, uh, the Apollo program, but mm-hmm. they didn't kind of, I don't know how you would end it upbeat and, um, and give an ending, but then, but this doesn't even have a sad or happy ending. It just, like I said, just kind of peters out. So it, that's, that's, I think it's for me, the weakest point of this movie. It just kind of, it's done. And it's very <sighs> solemn first for the Trek Yeager, for at least in this story, stealing that plane and and going through the stratosphere and everything else happening in this montage. It's a very solemnly filmed and scored sequence that kind of brings everything down those last 10 minutes for me. Let's take a minute and talk about the score, uh, which I was a little bit surprised to see that it was Bill Conti. I didn't realize that at the time. Uh, it, it's it's very not Rocky like. No, not at all. And that's that's I guess why I was so surprised when I found out that it was Bill Conti because I just expect it to be more uh, just a rousing kind of music. And this is this is more of the music is more a little bit laid back. It's it's more of that uh, awe inspiring as opposed 
becomes too inspirational, if that makes sense. It does. I follow what you're saying. And I really enjoyed the score. I have never listened to it independent of the movie, but I could see where I might enjoy that. Yeah, if I don't... I were take the soundtrack album and just put it on. I think I might. I, I don't know if I'd want it in the house, but I think as I'm driving along, if I put it on, I think I'd, I'd like that in the car. Yeah, I could see that. I don't own it. it. It didn't officially exist until like within the past 10 years. So any version you had was like a mishmash of singles and people recording stuff from the movie and it would get oddly edited because they were trying to get out dialogue and sound effects. So I, I never did buy the, the, uh, soundtrack of this i'm not sure how it plays out on its own yeah i'm not either as i said but uh in the movie when i know i'm going to do an episode of the show i try to pay attention to the scoring Mm -hmm. a little normally if i'm just watching a movie purely for entertainment purposes i don't want to pay attention to that i just want it to take me wherever it's going to take me Uh, and i think a lot of times if a score is done well you don't even realize it's doing that Right, so, that's true. Your good point. By paying attention to it, I feel like I'm taking myself out of the movie instead of letting it just you know carry me along. Uh, but this is a movie I've, I had seen previously, and I knew I was going to do the show with you, and I just figured, let me pay attention to it. And I really did like what I was hearing. I, I thought it was, again, I thought it was kind of that inspirational sound to it, and it wasn't overwhelming which again, Bill Conti. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I expect it to be a little overwhelming, and it's not. It's it's more subtle than that. It is subtle. It is it is subtle, especially compared to well, which I think everyone's go to is is the Rocky theme. Um, um, don't get me wrong, I love the Rocky. Oh, I theme. do too. And, yeah, and, and in the in the movies, you know, in the Rocky films, it's perfect. But in this movie, if you had anything akin to that, I think it would be a little bit. You know, it, it would just stand out too much and it would be almost uh, offensive because it would be taking over. Yeah. Yeah. I got what you're saying. I agree. You know, the the, the, the Rocky theme is perfect for a montage. <laughs> yes, it is. And yeah. <laughs> while, while in this movie you could have a montage, it really didn't play like that. It played more, as I said earlier, like vignettes. Yep. Uh Anything else that you'd like to hit on for this? Um, it's what I find fascinating about the history of this film is that it's it's possibly one of the biggest critic critical success flops. If you know what I'm saying, it was it lost six million dollars oh, yeah. in the end. Yeah, the, the it, budget was twenty-seven yep. million, and the box office was twenty-one million. Yep, and it's so. it's one for. Academy Awards, I think three of them for sound, which makes perfect sense for a movie like this. But Bill Conti won best score, but it's it was the at the time eighties. I mean, Siskel and Ebert were the go to guys. They loved this movie, and it made it all the way into their top ten of movies of the eighties. It seems to be like a complete across the board critical success that no one went to see, which is very odd. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of a uh, uptick. In the box office when the Academy Award nominations came out. If yes. I, if I remember that at all. That has to be why uh, my, my parents saw it. I, I cannot for, they, and, and, and it's, it's 
makes more sense if you know that they never go to the movies. I mean, they go to the movies. Well, we don't mean like, I don't even mean once a month. I mean, once every two years they go to the movies. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that they went to go see this, it had to be because of the Academy Award nominations, because I can't think of any other reason they'd go see this movie. Yeah. Well, I, so, so they you know, they helped. The yeah, I guess. Million. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when it's such a, when it's such a, a box office flop in terms of numbers, I, I, the only reason I can think of is because of the Academy Awards. I, I really don't know. I need and to this, ask them sometime if they remember. The ironic thing about it is it is a far bigger hit at home. Oh yeah. Yep. In home viewing than it was in, in its big screen showings. And yet watching it at home, I have to say that I was thinking on, during many of the sequences, this would be awesome to see this on the big screen. This, this, I think it was this sometime this year in 2018. Like, I don't know if it was summer or spring. I think there was another one of those. Um, I don't know if Fathom does them, but, but when they put out a movie, a classic movie, uh, in the theaters for yeah. a couple showings. Those are usually fa- fathom. Yeah, movies. yeah. I, I, in fact, you said Scott Garner. He asked me if I wanted to go see it, and I was traveling for work, and the city, particular city I was traveling in, didn't, wasn't even playing it. I was very bummed because that was the only chance so far in my lifetime to have seen this in theaters. So I would have loved to seen it, but I unfortunately missed it. So I am jealous of him as well. Angry. <laughs> uh, the jealousy's just <laughs> all over. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it is disappointing looking at it and, you know, whatever criticisms I have aside, uh, a movie like this deserves an audience. I I really do believe that. And it deserves it. You know, this and not only do do I think this would be cool on the big screen, I think this would be cool in IMAX. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. uh, Yeah. That with the Kennedy Space Center having those two IMAX theaters and every once in a while they'll have a commercial film in there i'm surprised they don't have some kind of anniversary screening now and again of that over there that's a perfect spot to have that that's a theater you'd fill is that Mm -hmm. that place yeah absolutely see ideas again we're we're the idea men (laughs) nobody wants to pay us for i know right (laughs) so ultimately though as you are well aware matt the question is is it yours? It's a, such a tough question. And it's like, I didn't pick this. I picked this when you were first during the show. And I, I heard like the first few episodes ever released. And then I got the gist of what you're trying to do. And I may have actually picked another one to make a, to purposely make a hard decision. I picked this, not realizing this is going to be a hard decision because I want to say right off the bat, Oh, it's, it's jaws for me. But then I'm like, well, is it because look at what we just talked about. It's a movie that, I'll only really watch, and this is all coming up in this this conversation. This is I, I thought coming into this, I was going to sit down and say, "Is it Jaws?" So now this is all stream of me th- my thought process right now. Mm-hmm. I just realized that I only really watch it all the way through when I'm watching it with someone that hasn't seen it. When I do watch it, I either jump to a certain part or I stop before a certain part because that's what I want to see. And the ending is and. and saying the kind of lackluster ending um, I, I said tonight, that's actually not new. That's the only thing I came into this knowing I was going to say that was possibly a negative. So it's really made me think that it's, and the fact that it's it's absolutely no draws as far as box office. We just discussed that. Uh, I don't think box office I know, it doesn't. ever be a factor <laughs> no. in that, frankly. But I, I think I'm actually going to say, based on what I've heard you describe them as, I think, to my surprise, I'm going to say, 
Jaws 2 because of the fact that really when it comes to my viewings, even though I do consider it one of my favorite movies of all time, if not my favorite movie subject of all time, it's not one I really watch all the way through, I'm realizing. So it's more of a Jaws 2, but in my heart, it'll always be a Jaws. <laughs> all right, that's that's a that's a fair, a very fair description, okay. I think. Uh, I could tell you I did my rewatch of this fully anticipating it being Jaws. And I don't know if I if I set my memory of it too high mm-hmm. or what I did. But uh, ultimately, as I watched it, for the reasons that I described to you, it fell short of that. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a case to me of the total being less than the sum of its parts. Yes. Okay. Because the individual parts of this movie, I feel, are so many of them are excellent and yeah. so many of them are awe-inspiring and so many of them are great character moments there's so many good things in this movie that it can't it can't be lower than jaws 2 for me it honestly just can't uh <laughs> i just realized that if you want to make a uh six degrees uh not even that a one degree separation wasn't dennis quaid in jaws 3 <laughs> yes he was <laughs> yeah. this is far superior <laughs> okay uh, well, you know, as I've said many times, Jaws 3 is ranked as Jaws 4 for me. Oh, right. That's so, true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I want this to be Jaws. I really do. And I feel like the things we talked about doing, you know, if they could have changed this a little bit, changed this a little bit, I think it would be. I think this would be one of those movies that's an all-time classic that, you know, once a year you have to queue it up and watch it. But it just falls shy of that. Yeah. So it's – it could be, but it's just not. Uh, so it's it's a Jaws 2, and I think you can give it a little extra tick up if you have particular interest in the space program. Yes, though. yeah. You know, like yourself and Scott, and I'm sure so many others. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think just, you know, for that, and I think the fact that it's mostly historically accurate also earns a place for me where I, you know, I think highly of it. Yeah. It's a subject. I will say I'm not saying this is going to sound like i'm saying this is one that could be remade i'm not saying remake this movie i'm saying this subject is ripe for more movies to be made and that wouldn't bother me it's it's as much as high regard as i put this movie in if if there was another movie to come along about the mercury program or maybe mercury and the gemini or to fill in some other things between this and apollo the apollo program has gotten several uh films both historically accurate and speculative fiction. I wouldn't mind if some of this got covered again in another movie. I think this is a subject matter that could do more movies and just enhance that library of good watching for me. Yeah, I think I think this I think maybe that's part of the criticism here is there's so much packed in here that instead of making one three hour movie, you could have made five two-hour movies if they made this if this was the first time they made this now and well i mean it's hard if they knew it was going to be a hit or what was really we're really sure it was going to be a hit it's hard to tell because it's in in my circle of friends yes anything that comes out with a space movie is going to be a hit and then well as first man has shown not so much (laughs) it's a very niche crowd but let's say they were making this movie and they knew they had a hit on their hands they would absolutely plan this to be three movies i mean no doubt they would have this planned out for the next three years for sure Mm -hmm. and and 
that's something you don't see with true biographical movies. Right. You, you very rarely see a true trilogy, yeah. uh, you know, of, of, you know, real life movies like this. But I think you could, uh, if you, if you planned it out and you wanted to, you could do, you know, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo and have it kind of follow each other. I don't know. There's a lot of ways I think you could attack this mm-hmm. or you could just stick with individual, you know, you, you could do Alan Shepard, you could do John Glenn, you could do, you know, you could focus on individual characters. It, it uh, might actually be ripe for a streaming service to take on. That kind of is in their, their wheelhouse. They, I mean, uh, Netflix and Hulu and YouTube have, have done, they've done straight up documentaries, docudramas and fictional. This might be something one of those could, could take on and do a really good job with. Yeah. I, I think, I think the subject matter is just fascinating. Yes, so, yep. You could do a lot with it. And that's, again, I'm not a huge, uh, you know, buff of this information. Mm-hmm. I just, but just as, as an average person, as far as much as I can lay claim to being an average person, uh, <laughs> I, I do find it to be fascinating and, and would be interested in watching more. That's cool. That's cool. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to, happy to hear other people find it interesting. Sometimes I I mention it it's to out people. Of space. How yeah. can it not and, be? That's the thing. It's like it's I'll I'll run into people that are huge, 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 huge sci-fi fans, Star Wars, Star Trek, Stargate, anything that takes takes place in space. And then I'll bring up something that's you know really been to space and just no interest in what I'm saying. It's 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 funny because I think I think mine go hand in hand. I think I because I love everything I just mentioned. I love, but I also love the space program, and I think I I think both. Like I say, work hand in hand as far as my fandom goes. And when when I meet people that are one or the other, it just is like, oh, that's can't quite get. I I get it, but I can't quite get my head around how I how I'd be how I would do that. I know, you know. Again, when I was at the, the space center, and you're you're seeing things that were actually in outer space, and it's just like this was in space. I know, this is just <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it really is just something that just makes my mind race. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's another aspect of it. And I think, I think if the average person who listens to this, uh, thinks about it, I bet you they'd say, yeah, you know, it is pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, might pique their interest more. If, if somebody hasn't watched this, uh, despite the fact that I'm not giving it a Jaws rating, if you haven't seen this, I would still recommend giving it a shot. Yeah, I do too. I think you'll find it interesting. Yeah. It's, it is, well, I mean, it's, I, I guess by default, it's the only movie on this particular subject but it it's it's well done and it's a good movie it's by by default isn't its only qualification to watch this movie because of the things that i've criticized about it i think it is easily lent to watching it in several viewings yes if you don't want to sit down for three hours straight watching it now if you sit down and you just riveted and stay for three hours that's fine but if you find yourself starting to wane a little bit, you could watch it in three separate one-hour viewings. I think. Oh and yeah, easily. Fine, easily. Yep. You know, this this is not necessarily bad to do on a you know we're going to watch this over three nights uh, basis. But anyway, anybody listening in, thank you for listening in, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. On any of my shows in a while. 
You know, it's funny. I when I saw your message pop up that you're ready online. The last message I got from you was when you were ready online for your Christmas special last year that I was on this time last year. So a year ago, it's the last time I've been on your show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Matt, thanks for coming on. And why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Oh, it's pretty easy. Uh, Newsaz.com has everything that we do, and I've been on, well, except for, uh, I guess Two True Freaks is probably my second biggest experience, but Newsaz.com, that's got our regular running shows, everything there. It's all our social media handles as well. We're just coming off a big, big, big October celebration, so... If you were uh, visiting in November, possibly in the beginning of December, it might look a little light, but that's because we are all taking a well-deserved break. But normally we have multiple episodes of a lot of stuff every week. So I'll let that speak for itself. If I try to list everything on there, we're going to be here another hour. So I'll just say newsaz.com <laughs> one more time. <laughs> yeah, between Neozaz and Choo Choo Freaks and uh, Fire and Water, I think oh, I, right. I think between those three networks, you, you don't have to go anywhere else. That's There's true. Everything, everything you want. Yep. So, you know, and I, I would say that is the large majority of my <laughs> podcast listening time. You know, it's funny. I almost posted this the other day, but something happened that distracted me. I, I was, uh, one of my hobbies is brewing beer and I was brewing beer yesterday and it dawned on me that I think you and Dr. Bill have been with me, at least in digital form, every batch of beer I brewed because it's an all day process and it's a perfect time for me to catch that week's Back to the Bins episode. And I think you guys have been with me every time I've been out there. Well, very cool. So, you know, next time I'm in Florida, I think I need to taste uh, some of the spoils of, you of are, my, uh, my, yeah, my work. Your contribution. Yep, you are more than welcome to it. Absolutely. All right, well, I'm going to look forward to that, and I will be letting you know in advance okay. before I come to Florida next time. Perfect. So maybe we, we can meet up again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be great. All right. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you. After a long and unprecedented series of evaluations, which told our medical scientists of their superb adaptability to their upcoming flight. It is my pleasure to introduce to you seven Americans, gentlemen all, Virgil I. Gus Grissom, Leroy G. Cooper, Thank you.